right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. Solly here with an emergency podcast. We are going to lay out uh, everything that happened in the world of professional golf today here shortly with a special guest here shortly, but want to give a shout out to our friends at Omni, a new partner of ours, Omni Hotels and Resorts. They deliver the best modern golf experience from corner to coast. They've got 12 diverse golf destinations with 28 courses. Listen, it's winter. It's cold in a lot of places, limited golf being played in most of the country. It's time to get out and you can go to omnihotels.com slash NLU and pick an Omni golf resort such as Omni Barton Creek in Austin, Texas or Omni Champions Gate in Orlando, Florida. They got the Homestead in Hot Springs, Virginia or Omni Tucson National in Tucson, Omni's golf courses, they're more than just a resort amenity. They take their golf extremely seriously. Their courses are built by some of the most renowned golf architects ever, Donald Ross, Corin Crenshaw, William Flynn. They've got several modern, exciting golf projects happening right now with Bo Welling and Gil Hance. Uh, the Fields Ranch, we've been out there to Frisco. It is going to be awesome. It's already awesome. The golf course, we had to put a chance to play the Gil Hance golf course. It is fantastic. The par three course that's going in there, the hotel, all the amenities, the huge putting green. It is going to be an awesome place to hang. It's going to kind of be a very central place in the world of golf, I think, in general. So if you get a chance to check that out, cannot recommend it highly enough. Omni Hotels and Resorts, exceptional hospitality and phenomenal golf. Book your trip at omnihotels.com slash NLU. Let's get to the pod. Fellas, a lot to talk about today. We got an interview to get to shortly. Uh, joined here, of course, by my guy, TC. Always ready for an emergency pod. Good afternoon, TC. I live for these, Solly. I've been just freebasing Twitter all day. A live mention already. Got today, it's about the tour. It's about the tour today. Come on, TC. KVV is here on the emergency notice. Hello, KVV. Hello, Sally. I'm I'm putting on hold my writing now to just be pod guy. So, uh, you know, take it out of my paycheck appropriately. But... Uh. You're, you're going through like the 2018 cycle that we all went through of like, oh yeah, everything gets thrown out. All the writing gets thrown out when it's time to podcast because it's just way easier to just word vomit into a microphone than it is uh, edit a bunch of, uh, of chatter. So uh, what we're going to cover today, again, not really originally part of the plan, but uh, Eamon Lynch had a scoop today, uh, which the tour later uh, confirmed through a memo about the new structure of the PGA Tour. It said the, the uh, this is Golf Week article from Eamon Lynch again. It said the PGA Tour uh, board on Tuesday night ratified a radical new approach for the 2024 schedule that will see reduced fields in the new designated events and the removal of the 36-hole cut. Uh, fields and designated events will be reduced to between 70 and 78 players with no halfway cut. The changes will not apply to all of the elevated events. The majors, the player championship, and the FedEx Cup playoff tournaments will be unaffected. Um, I'm going to kind of run through some of these details. I'm going to assume that not everyone has read through all these details. And then uh, shortly after we kind of lay all that out, we went straight to the source of uh, of somebody that voted on this. Peter Malnati is going to be joining us here shortly. We had a, a phone conversation with him just a few minutes ago uh, talking about his decision-making process, how uh, how he was convinced this is the proper model, and, and uh, his thoughts on that. And then on the back half of this, we're going to debate and discuss uh, a lot, all of it, anything we possibly can about what is going on here. So 
Again, two sources familiar with the details confirmed all these changes to Golf Week. Designated events were launched this year in an effort to guarantee the presence of the game's top stars and to ensure they are paid more with minimum purses of $20 million in each event. And due to the haste at which these designated events came about, a direct response to the threat posed by Live Golf, no changes were made to field sizes for 2023. That won't apply when the tour returns to a calendar year schedule in 2024. Uh, ending quote there to say, uh, we've known that 2023 is a bit of a hybrid year to bridge us to the schedule changes in 2024. A lot of this is very consistent with what was discussed and reported on uh, back in August of last year, but it is now made official by board vote uh, today. Diving back into the Golf Week column, reducing field sizes is sure to cause concern among rank-and-file members who will see it as a denial of playing opportunities. However, one top player who spoke on the condition of anonymity, I always screw that one up, but uh, says the plan will have opportunities for members to play their way into designated stops and will not create a closed system for elite stars. And the source said, we want top Top players and hot players. Going into some of the details of how these fields will be comprised, the top 50 players who qualify for the BMW Championship during the previous season's FedEx Cup playoffs, plus the top 10 players not otherwise eligible in the current FedEx Cup points race, uh, will be in the field. And there will be five places earned through performance in non-designated events. For example, the goal is to have a cadence to the calendar that would see two designated events followed by three non-designated tournaments, then another two designated. The top five point earners from the three non-designated stops would earn their way into uh, the next designated events, and any player who wins on tour would automatically be eligible for every designated event that season. Other qualification criteria will include consideration of the official World Golf ranking, most likely with a focus on the top 30 that is intended to accommodate a top player who may be returning from injury and otherwise ineligible for designated events. Sponsor exemptions will also remain in use, though with more defined parameters on who is eligible to receive one. Such exemptions are a controversial feature of designated events, but that free pass also represents the most obvious way to ensure Tiger Woods can play any event he wishes to choose. Uh, this is a key part here. I thought tour executives ran multiple data simulations of how a season would play out uh, in order to uh, ensure sufficient churn in the system. Proposals from top players at their meeting in Delaware last summer called for smaller fields and no cuts, but their criteria would have seen 80% of players remain in the elevated events from season to season, and the structure ratified by the board projects that only 60% of those eligible for designated events uh, would remain for the following season. He said a PJ Tour spokesman declined to confirm any details of the plan to Golf Week. Uh, a memo explaining the changes will be sent to Tour members later Wednesday, which, of course, it was. All right, Sally, I know there was a memorandum sent out this afternoon from Jay Monahan to the players. Any other changes in there? Anything, any stipulations? I'm just going to go through it all there. I mean, some of this is covered in, in Eamon's memo but uh, or, or scoop there, but you know, not all of it here. But it says, for 2024, the number of designated events required for play will be the same as the number in 2023 with no mandatory participation regulations. Uh, again, that's an interesting little wrinkle compared to what we uh, learned from last August. Um, back to the memo. As we'll, we will instead focus on ensuring purse size, elimination of a cut, and FedEx Cup points distribution sufficient incentivize top performers to participate in the designated events uh ending that quote to say it sounds like hey look it's going to be so much money and so many points that like you're not going to want to skip a lot of these and we talked with some with peter about that and we'll get to that shortly uh, this will include a total of 16 events colon the players the majors the fedex cup playoffs and an additional eight designated events 
Um, the schedule w- will distribute designated events and full field events to ensure that there are no isolated weeks, creating a strong cadence for players and fans alike. Schedule is designed to allow top p- performers the flexibility to participate in both designated and full field events. Full field events will become more consequential as they allow new and upcoming stars to rise to the top and give the membership an ability to play their way into designated events. They're expanding the Century Tournament of Champions, which may need to be renamed uh, to include the top 50 players from the prior year FedEx Cup list and all tournament winners from the prior year. Uh, eligibility for the remaining designated events, um, exclusive of the players in FedEx Cup playoffs, uh, will reward top performers, provide ample opportunity for play-in from season-long performance and different intervals throughout the season, retain an emphasis on winning, and be simple for the fan to understand. While there's still, it's important note here, while there's still details to be determined based upon which uh, events are designated, to follow is the framework of the eligibility system. Top 50 players from the prior year FedEx Cup points list through the FedEx Cup playoffs. So pause there to say, man, if you make BMW Championship, there's going to be some some eyeballs on the the first playoff event at St. Jude this year on who is making the top 50 to be eligible for all of des- of next year's designated events. They just changed uh, a big thing. It used to be top 30 was like, you can get into pretty much whatever you want. Now top 50 gets you into the events that you want. The top 10 players not otherwise eligible from the current year FedEx Cup points list, as well as top five players not el- otherwise eligible, earning the most FedEx Cup points through each collection of standard events. So basically, if you play the standard events uh, in between the designated events, the top five point earners from those uh, will get access to the next designated events, adding some intrigue to those uh, full field events. And then it's filled out with PGA Tour members among the top 30 in the official World Golf ranking, as well as the four sponsor exemptions restricted to PGA Tour members. Field sizes will range from 70 to 80 players with no cut. FedEx Cup point model will be adjusted with allocations of the additional points to the players, majors, and designated events. And the details will be shared with the membership in the coming weeks. Also, the PIP is going down from $100 million to $50 million and paid only to the top 10 players instead of the top 20. And the remaining funds are reallocated to the FedEx Cup bonus program and Comcast Business Tour Top 10. Guys, I'm out of breath. Too long, like, didn't read. I would say the summary <laughs> is the tour is being dramatically reshapen into there's going to be two tiers. There's going to be the haves and there's going to be the also haves. Uh, and also <laughs> haves can move up to be part of the haves. And occasionally a few of the halves can slip down into the lower tier. I honestly, initially, when I sort of saw it trickling out, I thought, oh, this is this is shitty. Like, I don't love the no cut stuff. And I still have some reservations about that. But I think it's a little bit like English Premier League. Like, there's the sort of elite teams and there's, you know, a little bit of relegation. It's not like a massive turnover every year. There's some teams that get to come up, some teams that get to go down. And there's still a lot of people that watch and are interested in both. And so I don't know that I would say I'm coming around to it, Sally, but I think that like if you like your PGA Tour, you still get to keep your PGA Tour for the most part. Uh, but I think it's getting, you know, at least it's sort of reshaping itself in a way that, you know, benefits the guys who are actually bringing in the revenue. And I think that's probably the only way forward. Uh, the, the decisions that they're being made are are probably the right ones. I don't know really how you could look at it and be like, this is terrible for the people who are actually making the tour worth watching. Yeah. It's funny. This is all, I feel like we knew most of this. Already, right? <laughs> I can't, I can't believe the reaction today is that, Oh my God, this is live 2.0. It was like, guys, this is like 90% of this or so was, was reported on back in August. And the remaining like 10% is kind of like, 
sounds even more encouraging. I, I think you can also like hate the no cut part and overall are hung up on, really hung up on in that like, I'm not like a big fan of the no cut part. And I can read this and say like, this is a way better model for professional golf uh, than what is currently at stake. But we got a lot to discuss. Does it make sense first for us to go into our conversation with Peter Malnati, who, if you're not familiar, we've talked a lot. I, we joke about this with him, but he is a, a mem- member of the board and is a representative of kind of a, the rank and file, if you will, of the PGA Tour, who may, you know, some of those people may or may not have uh, issues with, with kind of the way things are trending. He made an interesting kind of flip in his decision-making, and he walks us through all of that. And I, I would throw this out there as well, if there are other PGA Tour members that, that do not see it the way Peter does uh, currently and would like to chat about it on here, we are happy to use this platform to kind of uh, you know air, air that side of it as well. But found this conversation with Peter very interesting, and he helps kind of illustrate uh, how we got to where we are and how I, he believes it will be a good thing for PGA Tour players. So let's play that. Well, it's funny enough that we're doing this. I can't tell you how many times we've referred to the quote Peter Malnati's of the PGA Tour over the past weeks, months, and uh, and years. But figured there's no better place to start than uh, someone that's been involved in the decision making that's going on with the future of the PGA Tour. But welcome again, Peter Malnati. I want to know, uh, you know, why do you think this is a good move for the future of the PGA Tour, and why or why not? I can sit here today and tell you that I think this is an awesome move for the PGA Tour. If you'd asked me seven days ago, I was adamantly against the idea of small field, no cut uh, events on the tour. I just, I couldn't see past that taking playing opportunities away from PGA tour members. And I couldn't see past that somewhat resembling what our competitors on this new tour do. So that, that was were two hard hurdles for me to get over, but I honestly don't think either one of those points are, are, are correct or valid. And I think the direction that we just announced and just approved yesterday at the board level is going to be, unbelievably positive for the PGA Tour, its players, and all of our uh, all of our partners between sponsors and media partners. It's going to be great. Well, what changed in the decision-making process, I guess, there? Was, uh, did Patrick Cantley put a horse head in your bed or something like that? Or how did we end up, uh, how did we end up changing? I, I, one, I want to celebrate people that are willing to change their opinion on things at the same time, but kind of take me through where you were coming from originally and how you ended up, uh, ended up where you are now. There's a really great line that my, my wife, has taught me to say, and I just does not come naturally to me. It's hard for me, but in light of this new information, I have changed my mind. Like I have new information now that I didn't have a week ago. Um, and, and I'll share a little bit of that with you. So one thing that I'd never really thought of was, you know, the comparison in my mind where I thought of, you know, a no cut event looking like, you know, we we're giving guaranteed money to our top players just handing it to them without making them earn it that was kind of the thought that i had about what small field no cut events meant but that's really not what we're doing actually at all and when 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 you sit down and look at how you get into these you know quote designated events you've got to play your way into them there's no like the only category at all that could even be considered you know a gift is um we have, we're going to have four sponsors exemptions into them, I think. I, I don't know for sure the details of everything. Those aren't finalized. But I think we're going to have four sponsors exemptions. And that's the only thing that could be considered a gift. But even those, I think, will place pretty strong restrictions on to make sure they're only going to um, PGA Tour members who are active and uh, playing really well. So, so there's no giveaway here. To get in those designated events, you have to play really, really, really well. Um, so that's, that's the first point. And then um, – 
the second bit of information that I got that, that really was the kicker for me to help me change my mind was the fact that keeping the field small in the designated events not only makes them feel special and feel, you know, you know, big to our fans and our sponsors and everything, it does something else. It keeps the rest of the, the, the full field FedEx Cup events on the PGA Tour, it keeps a strong supply of top players ready to play those events because they want to get in the 70-player fields for the, the, the designated events. So if the fields get too big in the designated events, which is what I originally wanted, I wanted 120, then all of a sudden you've got 120 guys that get to play in these $20 million purses you know, throughout the year, and they are going to take all the weeks off in between to rest up and get ready. You only have 70 guys in these designated purses. That's a lot more PGA Tour talent, including a lot of top guys, a lot of big names that are hungry to play to get into the designated events. So by, by doing small fields in the designated events, we're going to bolster every full field event on the PGA Tour. And I think that's so important. Peter, what's it been like to explain this to sort of a lot of guys who are, you know, as of right now, like outside the top 50? What's the reaction been? Well, I mean, the reaction is exactly where I was one week ago. They're like, this is stupid. We don't like this. We don't want this. And, you know, I, I, this is such an easy place for me to be to help to explain to people. I mean, I don't have time to do it, but, but in terms of the actual explanation, this is so easy for me because I am that guy. I, I am, you said you've used the term the Peter Malnati's of professional golf before. I am the prototype of the Peter Malnati's of professional <laughs> golf. Like, I, I, I am, you know, I, I've had to come to terms. Like, and this, this occurred to me as I was changing my mind. This occurred to me in these board meetings. I've had to come to terms with the fact I may never play another Arnold, Arnold Palmer Invitational after this year. I may never play another Memorial. I've got to play incredibly good golf to earn the right to play in those. And that sucks. Those are, I mean, those are, those are places that we love to go. Those are legends that we love to honor. Those are tournaments that we love to play in. It sucks to, not, to, to think about 50 less guys being in those fields. That's a hard thing for me to swallow. And that's why it was so hard for me to get on board with this. So to the players who, um, who you know, hear this and say they don't like it, I say, yeah, I get it. I'm right, I was right there with you. But now I look at the fact that what this is going to do this is going to make, you know, you, you may talk about the prototypical Peter Malnati's of professional golf. Well, I'm going to talk about the John Deere classics of the PGA Tour. The John Deere classic may get historically two, one to two of the top 50 players in the world. But to Moline, Illinois, in the Quad Cities area, that event gets millions of dollars back. And it is so special. It is so important. And this new format that we've put forth as a tour strengthens the John Deere Classic. It bolsters that event. It tells that event, you still matter. You're important. And you're going to see that reflected in the players that end up playing there. Like, you know, you, you watch next year and you're going to have them, you know, just going to pick out some random names. But you're going to have a, you know, you're going to have Gary Woodland and uh, potentially, you know, Billy Horschel's guys who maybe aren't quite where they want to be, not quite having the year they thought they would have they're going to be playing the John Deere Classic to try to get into the playoffs and to make sure that they're cementing their spot in these designated events moving forward. And so you've taken the John Deere Classic of the PGA Tour and events like it and strengthened them with this new model. And that's what got me over the edge. That's how I changed my mind. And 
became not only okay with this idea, but enthusiastic about it. What is the right number of players to be playing in these designated events? How did it end up between 70 and 80? Why is that the number? And, uh, you know, kind of what was, I guess, what, what was close to maybe making it in there? Or, you know, the, the runner-up decision, if you will, of, of uh, what got cut in, to, in order to get to that size of field? We analyzed pretty closely. I say we. I need to give the, um, the tour a lot of credit here. Uh, Kirsten Burgess and her team and uh, competitions department did an awesome job of actually giving us data to look at. They analyzed what it would look like at 100 players, what it would look like at 120 players, and what it would look like at 70 to 80 players. And at 70 to 80 players, we get more guys in what we would consider like you know the top 125 or above category playing full field FedEx Cup events than what we currently have under our current system. So. That's the right number. It just say, you know, I think coming out of Delaware, the top players meeting, they may have wanted even smaller fields. You know, we don't want we don't want to make these events inaccessible. Like guys have to have hope that they can qualify into them. So we didn't want to be any smaller than where we are, but we don't want to be bigger either because bigger hurts the um, the full field FedEx Cup events. And this number is actually a pretty magical sweet spot that's gonna you know, give guys the opportunity to play their way into the designated events, but also, like I said, really, really bolster the full field FedEx Cup events that come between these designated events. Peter, I've been pretty sort of outspoken in the OWGR debate that, you know, because Liv didn't have cuts, I just didn't really feel like they could sort of credibly say we deserve OWGR points. What do we say now in the sort of, to the people who say, well, you know, now the PGA Tour doesn't have cuts. Like why, what's the difference? So here's the difference, and honestly, this isn't really a talking point um, that we've talked about in meetings or anything like that. I'm just going to tell you the truth because I agree 100% with you. The PGA Tour, we're still not going to have nobody on the PGA Tour is going to be able to play. No one who plays a full um, a full schedule, meaning um, you know they fulfilled their voting requirements as a PGA Tour member. No one's going to be able to play a majority of their events in a no-cut format. We're still going to have, I think there's going to be eight events throughout the regular season that are no-cut events. Guys are still going to have to go out and compete, make cut, earn their right to play for FedEx Cup points and money on the weekend, and more than half. Even the top, top players, the best of the best, are going to have to play in events with full fields and cuts more than half the time. And that is obviously a, uh, a distinguishing factor. The other factor, which I will say I think is important, is, you know, live golf, players were selected to go play for money that's given away they didn't qualify into those events with their play every no-cut event on the pga tour that player has earned the right to be in with their play that to me is a big 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 distinction i definitely get where you're coming from and that was one of the things that was really hard for me too is that you know we're going to stand up and say live shouldn't have world ranking points and then we're going to do you know, a model that might on the outside look a little bit like that. That's very problematic. But, but I think, I think what the PJ tour does is still extremely competitive. And like I said, we're not giving away points um, to anybody in more than half of their events. And uh, we also, you know, aren't just handing out spots in these events. Guys are qualifying into them. So that's a big difference. Peter, from an operational perspective, like I know cuts get unwieldy when they get above 70 ish guys. Let's say we've got, you know, a spot where we're late in the season, a bunch of guys have won, qualified into these designated events. Any concerns on the weekend, on a Saturday or Sunday, about pace of play and getting, you know, 75, 80 guys around the course? Um, and, you know, many of whom are 
20, 25, 30 shots off the lead? Uh, I don't think uh, – I mean, you probably will see at the very bottom of the field, something like that. I don't think you'll see – like I said, guys are qualifying in these fields. I mean, there's not going to be – there's not going to be anyone in them that isn't playing well. Like, they're either going to be coming off a very consistent year the year before or hot play at the time. So I don't think you're going to see a ton of, of um, you know, lagging performance at the bottom of the field. Obviously, someone's going to finish last every week, but I don't think it's going to be just – Guys, guys playing terrible golf and slapping around. I don't think that's going to be an issue. And as far I mean, we, we we play every single weekend with somewhere between sixty-five and eighty-five guys. I mean, it's not. I don't. I don't know. I don't see a big issue there. I mean, you know, the whole West Coast with short days early in the year. We play threesomes on the weekend anyway. We'll continue to do that. I just don't see. Um, I don't see an issue for you know, there being too many people on the course on the weekend because this is the same thing we've always done. We cut to 65 and ties in our events. We play on the weekend with somewhere from 65 to 85 guys. So that's that's standard issue. But from a product perspective, like, wouldn't it be better to be able to play twosomes like the whole weekend and lop off, say, the 20 guys who are clearly out of the tournament? Say, you know, even if it's after Saturday, if you want to give people a chance to come out, see their favorite player like I don't know it just feels like to me on the product side that that may be somewhere to tweak I guess in the future yeah are, are you suggesting by chance I mean I, I actually think I, something I brought up in, in in meetings is you know I've never played a Masters the Peter Malnati's of the PGA Tour don't play in the Masters very often um, and I've never played a Masters but it seems like it's a popular tournament that people like and I mean, you know, from a fan perspective or a player perspective, and they seem to do a pretty small field, and they cut to a lesser number. So I, I don't think it's impossible to think that one day this could look like, you know, seventy to seventy-five guys start, and then we cut forty-five in ties or something like that. I don't think that's impossible. I think we certainly um, we have a model that we're really excited to go roll out for for twenty twenty-four that doesn't involve that. But I don't think that's out of the question. I personally think that's a great idea. So that's a really good point. How uh, can you tell us a little bit about the data process in terms of models that are run to figure out the churn? I think it, uh, you know, just in reading Twitter reaction today, which uh, it's going to shock you, but people were very quick to react with maybe not the full set of information. But it seems like there was a lot of thought that has gone into how these fields are filled out and how the events that are in between them matter in terms of who's going to get into it, as well as how, uh, you know, how they're going to be replacing, like make, making sure that this is not a closed off system and making sure that it is competitive, which is what I think makes it distinct from other ones. But how can you give us a, a little bit of a, a glimpse into like how this will work with FedEx Cup points? How do they get elevated? I don't know if world ranking is too much to try to lump into all that as well, because it, it does seem like there's kind of two tours happening here uh, in some way. And I, I'm just curious as to how the points are all going to shake out in that regard. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I obviously, I don't want to just, I don't want to deflect away from that question. I don't know the answer to that question. Is this, I'm going to tell you the real truth. I've seen, you know, the modeling that the tour did revealed some pretty cool data. And I don't know how much stuff, um, I don't know how much stuff they want me to say, but I'm going to say what I, what I think is, is, is important and okay here. Um, so uh, two things that came from, from the model, they ran a thousand simulated seasons um, and they were able to show that with getting a slightly elevated FedEx Cup distribution at the top of the curve for these designated events, they were able to keep a retention rate in the top 50. So this is the average of a thousand simulated seasons, 
a retention rate in the top 50 is 64%, which means you have 36% turnover, which means 18 new guys in and 18 guys out of the top 50 every year. That is a pretty fair number. From, from, from one of the Peter Malnati's of the tour, that feels like that gives me a lot of hope. That feels fair. If the turnover rate was seven or eight guys or even 12 guys, I would feel like we've got to work on this system, guys, because that's just not enough mobility. It, it does create a two-tour system if you have no mobility into that top 50. But 18 guys have a chance to play in and out every year. That's, that, to me, seems like a very fair system. And, you gotta, and that, that's just to get into the top 50. The other, the other metric that they were able to model, that they were able to give us with this modeling, is 71 unique players not in the top 50 from the previous year will get at least one star in an elevated event through current year or current swing of full field FedEx Cup full full field FedEx Cup event qualifying points. So that means 71 players in addition to the 50 who are exempt from their play the previous year, 71 unique players will play their way into at least one designated event. So between 18, uh, 18 guys coming in or falling out each year, and then 71 spots qualified for during the course of the current season. I feel like that's a pretty fair system that really kind of, you know, disavows that two-tiered, two-tour system that, that we were trying to avoid creating. I think we have enough mobility that that's okay. I think, we're, I think we have kind of squelched that fear. Peter, talking about the, like, when this started – this whole conversation seemingly started, you know, in Delaware last year or even before that. It, it was all revolving around the idea of mandatory starts for the top guys. Uh, you know, everybody showing up at these at these designated events and playing those. In the new memo today, it, there's no no mandatory starts. Where is that gone? And is the hope that that things are you know that that the point distribution system will be so strong and the purses will be so strong with these designated events that that guys will feel like they're just leaving money and points on the table if they don't show up yeah i mean like clearly i think realistically we know that not every player will play every single one of these but it seems like they're going to be so good that we would i think we would anticipate um no more than a five percent five percent of that top 50 missing so you know no more than than two or three guys from the top 50 missing from these events just because they are going to be so attractive and the mandatory participation that has never been in the dna of the pga tour and that that's something as a player like i'm in my ninth season on the pga tour and i think i can count if you let me use both hands i think i can count on my fingers the number of events for which i have been in that i have skipped for which i've been eligible that i have skipped i play when i get in that's the nature of, of being one of the Peter Malnati's of the PGA Tour. Is, you, know, you don't get in everything you want to get in, so you play everything you do get in. That's just the nature of that. But mandatory participation, even to me, seems to really attack the DNA of who we are as an organization and what we're built around. Like We're built around, we're built around autonomy and um, the ability to... to I, I hate the term independent contractor because I think that is a misnomer. I mean, we... Most independent contractors don't have the best, you know, retirement plan, professional sports, and um, you know, health benefits and stuff like that. So to call us independent contractors, I think, kind of misses the point of who and what we are. But the independence to set our schedules and play where we want to play when we want to play has always been part of the deal with the PGA Tour. And I think, you know, I understand why the meeting in Delaware, you know, 
was willing to take that away for a year because you've got to give sponsors some guarantees to ask for the kind of money they wanted to play for. But that's just that is not that's in the nature of of maybe some other tour that might be forming. Um, it's not in the nature of the PGA Tour. So I think getting away from that is is only healthy and and only a good honor to the uh, you know the legacy that the tour has has built. Peter, it's not too often that a professional sports league like dramatically reshapes uh, its future. I guess I'm wondering as I started listening to you talk, like, did you feel at all? You've said, you know, I might never play in a Bay Hill again. I might never play in one of these larger things, and I have I'm okay with that. Did you feel at all like I'm making a sacrifice personally for like the greater good of the future of golf? I mean, not really, because honestly, I don't know that I have like. I think if we make, you know, so I went into this argument, I went into this argument adamant that the, the idea of a small field, no cut event was just completely antithetical to the PGA tour and what we do. And I was going to fight and scrape and claw until my fingers bled to, to convince people that we needed 120 fields. I was going to do that. But now I realize that's fighting against me. That's fighting against me because the events that I play are, you know, the events that I play, the events where I have, made the vast majority of my my earnings on tour are standard full field FedEx Cup events and if I fight for 120 in the big field I create the two tour system that we're trying to avoid where I no longer have you know a PGA tour to play on I'm now playing on some some relegated you know minor league tour and I think with the smaller fields I, I think by by being willing to sort of wrap my head around what we're looking at and change my mind and support this model that moves forward with small fields, I really think that I am supporting me and all the Peter Malnati's of the tour, as well as the top players. Like, it's it's really, like, do I love the, the I mean, honestly, I kind of like all the tournaments on the PGA Tour. I still feel like a little kid in the candy store when I get to go play any of them. But, like, you know, Riviera, Bay Hill, Muirfield Village. Like, I want to play in those places. I want to play them badly. But guess what? I still can. I've got to play a lot better than I ever have, but I still can. And because we've made this decision to move forward with this model, the other places that I love too, Jackson, Mississippi, Moline, Illinois, all the stops on the PGA Tour are going to be stronger. So was it a sacrifice? Actually, no. It was in, it was in my interest. It was in the interest of every Peter Malnati on tour, in the interest of the entire organization. Like, and that's kind of kind of weird to say because it sure didn't feel like that to me a week ago. But but it 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 really is the case. Well, that's I, I gotta I've gotta say I gotta commend you for that that stance, right? Because I think it is pretty easy to have dug your heels in um, into in kind of what it has felt like your you know your class of player would or even maybe should have done in terms of fighting this. So it. Uh, Kind of the, the 180 there is, uh, it's not the easiest thing to do and, and recognize. So I appreciate one, uh, you know, kind of you, you explaining all that to us and spending some time with us and on top of, uh, you know, kind of being willing to do that. So with that, we, we thank you for joining us, Peter. Best of luck this week and hope to see you in some designated. Now I got, I, I imagine some people are going to be rooting for you to be playing in some designated events because you gave a pretty passionate speech there. I appreciate Dude, that. Absolutely. And it's possible that, 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 that's the reason the system is okay. Just, just so there's, there's, you know, there's a handful of reasons, but that's the reason. If you leave with nothing else, golf fans out there who think this is awful because it doesn't look like the PGA Tour, leave with that. That's the message. Is like, I mean, I'm 35. I've got, I'm happy. I have my wife. I have two boys. I've 
been able to provide a good life for them. But I'm the most motivated I've ever been right now because if I get to the top 50 this year, I know I'm in every one of these designated events next year. If I, if I go into next year and I'm not in the top 50 from this year, if I go out and win a full field sex cup event, I'm in the, the designated events. Like, I'm the most motivated to be good at golf that I've ever been right now, and this model is going to inspire that in all the Peter Malnati's of the PGA Tour. So that's pretty cool. Thank you to Peter for that. Again, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Whoop, the official fitness wearable of the PGA Tour. Whoop is a wearable health and fitness coach that specializes in tracking and improving your recovery, your sleep, your activity. So if you're hoping to sleep better, exercise more, reduce stress, or just lower your handicap, the daily insights from Whoop are tailored to help you meet the goal. 87% of Whoop members say they feel healthier with Whoop. I am one of those 87% because when I'm tracking what I'm doing, I pay a lot more attention to the help. I guess I view my decision making through a healthier lens I, I don't drink every single night if I don't you know need to you don't ever need to but look if I don't need a drink at 10 o'clock p.m. because I know it's going to make me sleep worse I don't do it and it helps me it's gamified my sleep my energy I want to see the green numbers when I wake up from a, a good night's sleep it's got me going to bed earlier it tells me how many hours of sleep I need it tells me if my body actually got rest Everything from personalized recommendations to sleep coaching, Whoop uses data to provide you with the steps you need to take to maintain positive routines and build healthier habits. Go to whoop.com, W-H-O-O-P.com. Use code NLU to save 10% off your order. Let's chat some more about the changes. So yeah, it seems like they've sort of kind of reacting to one of those last questions there with Peter. It seems like they've sort of gamed out the the mandatory thing. Like, hey, we're going to make this incentivized enough or we're going to make this attractive enough for you to, you know, you're going to have to think twice about skipping one of these. So I think that makes sense. I'd like to see some sort of mandatory, like, Hey, you got to add one, two, three non-designated events a year to play in. I think, uh, that makes sense. I do worry a little bit about, you know, I know he, he talked about some of the cut stuff. Um, as far as, you know, we play 80 guys on a weekend all the time. Like, yeah, when you do that, like the the pace of play suffers. The, <laughs> you, you, like you know, you got to play in threesomes. It's it's not as good of a product, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've got a ton of downstream takes that that we a can lot get of thoughts. To. Yeah. So, any initial thoughts from from Peter? I was just impressed that Peter could sort of, I think, distill it down to like what he understands the reality of professional golf to be. Like I'm, I'm still not entirely sold that it's the. Um, the best model forward that's sort of kind of in line with the traditions of golf. But I also, I'm a realist and I think Peter probably came to this side too, too. It's like, this is what was necessary to sort of shape golf going forward. It might not be beneficial to him, but he's, I mean, we always joke about like Peter leads the tour in strokes gained attitude. Like he's already reframed it in his mind of like, yeah, this is better for me in the long run because I know like what the stakes are. I have to be in the top 50 if I want to sort of, you know, make this amount of money. I can't ever like just go on one heater and and win a Bay Hill or win a Memorial, whatever. I actually got to, you know, earn my way into that stuff. So I'll give him credit for that. Like it's, it must've been, I think hard to, I, he doesn't, I don't think Peter's the kind of person who got bullied into this or was like, Hey, like do this or, you know, you're going to be left behind. I think he did examine it with logic and reason. It's still hard for me to swallow like the idea of you know, for me, it's, I really believe that cuts are an important part of professional golf. And, and I, I'm honestly more open to the idea of the live guys getting world ranking points. If PGA tour guys are gonna, you know, play 
a lot of events without cuts. Now he's was pretty clear about that. And I thought it was a good answer of like the majority of the golf that you play in the designated events is still going to be cut. Uh, it's not going to be all of them. So that, that was good. But you know, I just feel like that was an important part of the debate was like, yeah, if you're not going to have a cut, then I don't think you have enough sort of, you know, leg to stand on in terms of getting these OWGR points. So maybe it's, that's a small win for live. If live is around in here. I'm going to push hard back on that. Yeah, I'm not following <laughs> the 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 majority of the events that you play having cuts in the designated events. Players, majors, that's five. That's, but otherwise there's no there's no other cuts that we're talking about, right? Century doesn't Well, there's still them. talk about having like cuts at the Genesis potentially because of the tradition of cuts at the Memorial. I think Rory was pretty and Max said this too. Like not all of that has been decided if traditionally I guess that that event has been around a long time and the, the cut has, I don't know. I mean, Rory brought this up at Genesis, like the LA open had a cut, you know, forever. And so it wasn't an invitational always. And it was like, this is an important part of the tradition. And so we'll probably look into keeping some of those. So maybe that's where some of that comes from. I, I do not think so. KVV just based on, on hashtag sources. I do not think that Genesis and the player run ones will have cuts. I, I believe that was kind of floated around out there. I, I, I don't know the math on, you know, the uh, him saying the majority of events will have cuts. I do think uh, where I'm going to really push back on the live part of this KVV is like there is still whether or not it's the, the word cut here is relative because there's a lot of cutting done before this event starts. Right. It, the field is basically cut before you get there. And the only way to get there is through qualifying. And again, the only way to get to live, I guess there's many ways, but it's through shaking hands with MBS and signing a, a, a multi-million dollar contract or some of these most, more recent guys didn't even get a million dollars to sign. So it is so vastly different. I do not think, I think a lot of people online get hung up on live does not get OWGR points because they don't have a cut. Uh, and I do not think that is the main driver of why they do not. It is uh, because that it's, it's a non-competitive environment to qualify for it or to get there. And then once you're there, there's no churn. I mean, the relative churn there is so minuscule compared to what we're talking about in this system that it's just, I'm not calling what you're saying disingenuous. I'm saying there's a lot of disingenuous conversations out there in relation to that, that I, I can't make it much more clear that these two things are vastly different. The Lee Westwoods, Ian Poulters are going to try to pretend. They already are trying to pretend like, oh, funny idea you just got here. Guys, I mean, th there's been no cut events on the PGA Tour for a long time. There's the CJ Cup. There's the Zozo. There's been four, three WGCs a year that are stroke play that have no cut. I don't love this part of it. I, I, I don't think it's like amazing. I don't think it's the highlight of it, but it has not changed the fundamental underlying competitive structure into what makes this a, not a free crack giveaway with OWGR points that live would be. Which I feel like they need to make a stand and say, last place in a field, you're not, getting, not, get you're not getting FedEx Should not. points. Or when, because there's a real conversation that's going to have to happen around OWGR points where they're going to probably have to gerrymander this thing again. I'm going to put my live hat on for a second. They're probably going to have to gerrymander the points because if you look at examples from last year of you know, hey, here's here's the amount of points available to a 70-man field versus here's the amount of points available to a 150-man field. It's radically different, and they're going to kind of cut their nose off to spite their face, right? Which my question there is, does that mean you're going to go play more full field events, right? Because if I'm if I'm adding this up, I mean, it's, it's 16 events right now, and I, I know that right now there's a rule of you need to play three non-designated events, correct? So 
Does that rule stay? Does that now become four? Are guys going to be incentivized to, look, three weeks off might be too many for a lot of these guys. And if we're talking about a schedule of, you know, back-to-back designated weeks and then three full field events, like, aren't guys going to go play that middle one? Like, I would have to think so, right? I don't think these guys are necessarily looking to take three weeks off in a row too often. True. But I think, I don't know, I just, I struggle with the idea of the rankings if, the ranking, like if we're setting up these events to be the best players playing against one another, and then guys win those events and they're not getting the most points for beating a field of the best players, right? It's kind of a fundamental yeah. flaw in the ranking system. And and that's what we've pointed out. And I think you can address that with redistributing how you pass out the total amount of points in those events, right? It, right now it is spread too thin and the guys near the bottom get too many points and guys at the top don't get enough because... The way OWGR points are, if you're a 150-man field or a 20-man field, it still gets distributed around the same percentage, whereas, like, hey, there's a big difference in how you achieve that. And something I think they should have addressed prior to today, and that's a a point I'm consistent on. Kevin? This is a downstream thing, but it it did strike me when we were sort of listening to Peter and, and talking to each other and throughout this stuff on Twitter today is like, okay, so 2024 is going to look radically different than 2023. And the decisions for that are going to be made pretty soon. Like what happens in 23 is going to shape 24. I really wonder like what some of the live guys are thinking right now as they see this play out today of like, oh shit, like the decision, what's going to happen in 2024 is being made right now. Like, I don't know that I'm 100% confident that live is going to be around. It's certainly not in the same way that it is in 2024. And so... I wondered if it gives any sort of like panic to some of these guys of being like, if I, if, if this league collapses or if this, you know, is sort of completely diminished in terms of money's going out, if I miss my chance, it, what is it going to look like? I'm going to be shut out till 25 in this stuff. I'm going to, the whole sort of future of my professional golf might be being shaped right now before my eyes. And maybe you don't care, but if you're one of these people who we've sort of heard is like having some regrets, you might sort of like start to kick the tires a little bit on like what would the potential be for me to come home? It's a crazy hypoth- hypothetical, total hypothetical that you just threw out there, Kevin. I mean, total hypothetical there. I, yeah, I wonder if that's going on. I mean, that would be all. sick if they made the live guys. <laughs> all right, you can't play a designated event. You got to earn your way on through the, through the, you know, the John Deere classics of the world. I think overall my, my high level takeaway is like, I think Honda was a perfect example, and you guys said it on the pod on Sunday. Like it, it's a good example of how, like, there's context now. Like, what what do these tournaments mean? We don't need to we don't need to pretend like 46 or 44, or however many tournaments they have on the PGA Tour that they're all created equal because they're not right. And now fans can digest it. Fans can know, hey, you know what? This week I can, you know, I can lock in, or you know, Honda Classic Week or John Deere Week. That 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 means ju- that means more than it did before, because there's something to earn your way into, and there's something to promote your way into. Uh, I do have some concerns that a guy that wins a tournament later in the season has much less of an opportunity to parlay that success into a guy that wins, you know, early in the season because you know there's like he's going to get into less designated events, so it's it's going to behoove guys to win on the West Coast swing versus say win in Detroit because you're only going to get that many more cracks. Maybe the guarantee ought to be that you get into eight designated events or something with a victory on one yeah, of those. Yeah, and I have no idea like what they're going to do because like the whole selling point on the fall series was making the fall series all about 
priority and jockeying for priority and you know like all right you finished outside that top 70 now you need to go jockey for priority within that and that's going to get you into elevated events that's no longer the case right so it's like everything's flattened from 70 to 150 or 70 to 170 right like you've got kind of a total you know i'm sure they'll do some things with pga tour u so that's that's a consideration can we go way, way back, like way back and zoom out for a second, just because I let's all remember like why pro golf and why the PGA tour looks the way that it does, let's say prior to this year, even right. The tour is mandated to create as many playing opportunities for as much money as possible, right? Like we don't have 48 events because that's what fans are asking for. Or this makes the great, the best entertainment product. We don't have 156 people in the field because fans want to see that many pro golfers compete. We have that because the, that's what the PGA tour is mandated to do. Right. And in that, through that, like the Peter Malnati's of the world get rewarded handsomely for playing professional golf while providing what I would call minimum entertainment value to the overall golf world, right? Uh, the TV networks are going to show the main guys and uh, there's just, there's way, there's a, so much golf. Like there's two T starts at 6.45 a.m. at the Players' Championship, warming up under the lights so you can fit a ton of players in that have zero shots televised. I would not consider that to be the best thing for entertainment. That's an antiquated model that has gone year after year after year and rolled forward year after year after year. So it has become the status quo and it, it it very clearly a huge curveball thrown in the landscape means that status quo has to change and human brains just fixate on what they know and change can be uncomfortable and i do not think this new model is perfect i think the pga tour should stay mobile and agile something they have not shown that they can be over the years but i also to their credit like they've they've tweaked the fedex cup a lot right it still ends up kind of in a very silly way and it's kind of like Plastic surgery on plastic surgery on plastic surgery Talk on plastic surgery. Talk a lot about surgery. cuts here, man. Cuts everywhere. <laughs> you know, Dr. Bob's going to come in here in a sec. Uh, but, like, to at least, like, have this discussion, we have to, like, work from a place of recognizing that the major, major flaws in the current setup as it is have brought us to where we are. And as we've said since August, like, the status quo of, of normal tour life is out the window and not the backup option here. It was not an option to run back the 2021, uh, maybe that's a bad example with COVID, the 2019 PGA Tour schedule and that structure was not an option here. So something had to change. A lot had to change. How do you take care of the top players that have indicated they want to stay on this tour under this circumstances? Yet, I got to give the top players a lot of credit too of like, they, as much as it's been painted as a closed off system that screws the rest of the tour, like we just heard it from Peter Malnati, and I'm pretty darn convinced that they just made it a lot better for the rest of the tour as well. And so, I, again, I don't think it's perfect. I don't love the cut part, but I think it just is important to note like this was needed to get like, drawn up from scratch without actually being able to unwind their actual structure. And I'm, I struggle to come up with something off the top of my head that seems like a better idea right now. I'm curious your guys' take on that. This is, I think, like slightly uh, like a little bit of a departure. This, but what struck me, honestly, is like golf always prided itself on the, this idea of independent contractors and we're all sort of allowed to make our own decisions or whatever. But for the most part, golf actually has behaved like the players were part of organized labor, where like the one vote was sort of like equal amongst all the people. And so they, the 12th man on the bench of the NBA had the same power as LeBron James. And really like what we're sort of shifting to now is a model of like the actual sort of, you know, play, hashtag play better. Like if you're one of the people who draws in the revenue, then you're going to benefit more from the revenue. And it just 
it's funny to think that like a very conservative sport has sort of gotten into this, like in a lot of ways, like socialist sort of plan of like, oh, look, everybody <laughs> sharing all the money. It doesn't matter if you're good or not, like a you know, truly great player. And so moving away from that, you know, is kind of funny. I mean, I, there's a part of me that thinks like, oh, you know, I, I wish like for the good of professional golf, like that uh, a top player, you know, might sort of say like, oh, no, it's it's important for me to protect the jobs of these, you know, people. But honestly, like it is still doing that in a lot of ways. It's sort of siloing off this area of like, look, here's your opportunity to make more money. And here's your opportunity to sort of win events that you're more likely to win. Uh, and that will in itself protect your job. And, you know, it's the ultimate like you you better be good enough to shoot the scores or not. It's that's the meritocracy part of it. So that kind of a, as someone who came from football and watched the model of like, yeah, like the the union was sort of for a long time trying to protect everybody's job. And then it kind of evolved into like, now actually the quarterbacks are more important. That's maybe that's where golf is moving toward. Our, our esteemed colleague DJ had a really, really good point on Slack earlier. He said, this might sound too glowing brain, but I think selling the promise of guys getting into elevated events is way, way more interesting than seeing guys in those elevated events, which makes the Honda better, which makes the Sanderson Farms better which makes the Fortinet better, like all of those. And yeah, if there's some guys, like Peter said, like a Horschel or uh, a Webb Simpson who's trying to fight his way back up to the top that he's beating in those fields, even better, right? But but I think the notion of underdogs getting onto the big stage is oftentimes a lot more captivating than watching those same underdogs get, you know, probably finish in the bottom half of the leaderboard or the standings. Yeah. You know, if you're a Justin Rose fan and you've been a Justin Rose fan for a long time and then he was playing in the lower tier events, you still get to go out and sort of see him try to kind of salvage his career. Like you're probably a huge fan of like the, what happened this year if it had occurred, you know, two, three years in the future. Like, oh, man, I got to see Justin Rose like revive his career and get back to the big leagues. That's that's exciting yeah. to me because I've always been a Justin Rose guy. There's a question from Taylor Todd 609. He said, if everyone hated the WGCs, is, is it a good idea to make half the events WGCs? And I, I don't I, think they're not WGCs. Yeah, like I think part of, the, like, part of the issue with WGCs was like shitty, shitty venues, right? Like, all right, that was one of the, <laughs> them. Well, they were just bolted on, right? They were just tacked on to, uh, DJ said this earlier on Twitter as well. It's like, it was bolted on to already like existing season, right? It was like, all right, well, how do I differentiate the WGC workday uh, with like, you know, Bay Hill that's coming up here? Like it's just kind of those two things together. Whereas now it's like, no, these are the season. Like this is the season now. They're going to be keyed around these big events, not just these events that are bolted on and taking these like legacy events, if you will, which like, I know you can roll your eyes at that, but like there's like way more context into watching Bay Hill, which I think is not a very good golf course, but like I, we know that golf course and there's some history to that event instead of just some random pop-up cash grab and dudes way off the pace in, in these events that like doesn't really fit in. It didn't really fit into the overall season of the, all the full field events. Whereas now it's like, no, no, this is the cornerstone of them. This is what's going to define the season is these events. And I think that's a big, big, big difference. And I think a fair amount of people are either struggling with that or choosing to struggle with that by being ignorant to kind of what these changes actually mean. That's just my thought. No, I agree. People didn't hate him when Tiger was winning 18 of them. I'll say that much. <laughs> Let's go down some of the actual like criteria, the, the, the changes that are made, and I kind of want to silo them out one by one and say, like, why or why not do we like this, or why or why not are they doing this? 70 to 80 guys in the field. I've seen some a lot of people standing online for 120-person field or full field uh, 
you know, full fields in these designated events. Where do you guys stand on what the field size should be? Sally, you said it earlier before we were on, like, I hope that they're flexible on this stuff. Like if that doesn't, like if 70 doesn't work this year, 75 or 80 or whatever it is week to week doesn't work. I hope that they are willing to go to 90, right? Or if that's too many, go to 60, right? But like, be willing to be flexible. I think some, you know, the more churn, the better, in my opinion. I'm a pro pro death panel guy. I think this is kind of the next best thing to the death panel. We're going to get some guys in and out. Like, it's going to be fascinating if you see a guy like, gosh, I'm trying to think who would be a good example. I mean, Webb Simpson, like Webb Simpson was playing some of the best golf in the world three or four years ago, right? And now it's like Webb Simpson is going to be well outside the top 50 guys and playing the John Deere Classics and the Amex and all that. And it's like, there's something captivating about watching a guy climb his way back in, you know, just as there is the underdogs and everything. So I think the number wise, like wait and see, let's, let's see if it's good this year and then go from there. Right. I would say I'm, I'm with you there because I, I went to the waste management. I walked the range and I was just like, and I, I'm just going to pick out like two names. Like Bo Hostler and uh, and Max McGreevy were warming up amongst like a lot of like a lot of dudes. Like there's just a lot of dudes out there. And I thought to myself, like I'm here because this is a designated event, elevated event, and it doesn't feel that way, right? Because the lines are getting it's getting blurry because of how many guys are in this field, right? And if you go above this eighty thing, I I I hate. 2T starts with threesomes. I just don't think that that is the best. Um, you know, if you look at what Liv has done, this is one of the things I've complimented Liv on is like, hey, we play, we tee off at like 115 and we're done at six. Like that's the window. Like everyone's going to be playing. I don't really love the shotgun start, but like, hey, there's not a need for an afternoon and a morning wave. If there's one wrinkle of weather that gets thrown in, it doesn't throw off everything that's going to happen in, in the rest of the week. It just, the viewer at home, I think, this is my opinion, does not need that many people in a field for an interesting golf tournament. I think from a lot of the sentiment I've gathered online, I think people in their heads think that number 71 through 120 in the field is way more valuable to the field than it actually is. I think uh, if I was one of player, you know, the 71st player through 120, I might think very differently. But again, from an entertainment standpoint, I don't know what really the, those those that rank of player brings to the field uh, on a consistent basis. That's my opinion. And it's really taking something off the table in certain regards where like it's harder to get a featured group on the weekend if you have yeah, all, well, these, all you know so many more guys in. Yeah. If you went back, would you try to jam as many people on the golf course as possible? Like if you were trying to create the best product, I, I don't think that's the answer. I think there's certain events where like maybe Phoenix doesn't make sense as a designated event. Like their thing seems to be like, let's pack as many sure. people onto the course as possible, create the longest possible day, sell the most possible yeah. beers <laughs> and create the most, the most entertainment, right? Like, so maybe, maybe farmers is better for that, or maybe pebbles better for that or whatever. Pebbles got its own set of things. Like I'll be really keen to see what they choose as some of the, you know, some of the permanent designated events. Cause it sounds like they don't want to switch them up year to year, but I just don't know who it behooves going back to the cut thing. I don't know who it behooves to have somebody 25 shots off the pace. Cause like Peter said, it doesn't happen. It happens all the time. It happens at the tour championship every year or the BMW every year. Like there's nothing fun about watching somebody go through the motions, 30 shots off the lead and, and just play like shit. And like in the heat of, memphis or you know it, it's it's just tough right like one year at the tour championship i remember watching tiger 
it was on Halloween and Tiger like dressed up for the front nine and like put a wig on. And he was, he was like 18 shots off the lead. And like even Tiger, it was kind of depressing watching Tiger <laughs> go through the motions on a Saturday or a Sunday when like, just cut him a check, cut him a last place check and be done with it or do it after Saturday even, you know? So like everybody has a chance to see their favorite player on Saturday and then Sunday, cool. We're, we're stripping it down. We're going twosomes on Sunday. I think that the, the idea of a cut is probably a lot better than like the actual focus on like who's going to make the cut or who isn't like the yes. programs have never actually focused they don't on celebrate stuff, it really. they, they don't it's, they don't they don't capitalize on it that's not part of the current structure of golf for us to like sweat the cut line if there was like a channel that was like the red zone channel of like actually focus on the cut like people still would like probably only the people would watch it were the absolute truest of sickos like i you know It'd be the three of us and like, you know, a bunch of other like golf Twitter nerds. Like that's about it. It's not like something, I don't know, the idea philosophically of like, hey, if you don't, you know, that's, there's a reason why they repeated it 15 times in the Netflix thing. Uh, if, if you don't play well, you're not going to, you, you're 65 times, you're going home and like your trunk slamming. Yeah, that stuff. I mean, that's just part of the long tradition of golf. And so I get why letting some of that go uh stinks a little bit and just it's an easy way to say like oh this dude's emceed six of the last eight rounds he's obviously or the tournaments he's not playing well so some of that going away kind of is going to just force us to rethink things and that that's tough sometimes but i get it it's just there's no is the entertainment product there's no value in it no value in cutting people i, I think there's no value in like sort of pretending like we care about the guys who are sticking around like you know or not to be honest because they've just never really been part of like what we've focused on it doesn't bother me to have guys out there 30 shots off the lead playing golf what does bother me is when it adds logistical issues to it if it means you have to play in threesomes or if you have to go off two tees and it means you know it, it, we went to the bmw championship last year it was 70 dudes and it was twosomes off the first tee, if I remember right, on and on every day. And I know that's kind of the most daylight time period of the year, and that's a you know a difference. But it was kind of like, man, seventies a lot of guys. Seventies a lot. Like I, I, I mean, I'm just going to go to the OWGR. This well, Ricky Fowler's the seventieth ranked player in the world. I can there'd be a lot of people that want to see him. But JJ Spawn is sixty nine, right? And I don't I don't know who's like showing up and is like upset that JJ Spawn is not there. Probably JJ and his family. I would definitely agree with that. But Again, it's. I think people um, can conflate how many needle movers, and I hate to use that phrase, there are in the game of golf. And I, I get the sentiment of, hey, no cut is a bad vibe in terms of like, dude, you're just gonna have dudes mailing it in, uh, you know, cash and checks, all that stuff. Listening to Peter Monai talk about this structure did not have me in any way thinking like this. This structure is not going to be competitive. And it doesn't seem like you can rest on your laurels. Like, I think probably part of the issues we've had with PGA Tour cards have been very easy to keep. Uh, that didn't seem like overly, oh my gosh, JT doesn't even have to try in these events and he's going to be in them for the rest of his life. That's, I don't feel like that's the vibe of this competitive structure. I could be wrong on that, but uh, I, I'm amazed the people that have jumped to thinking that that is all, that's what's going to default to. Some of that, though, like some of that comes back to like scar tissue from the tour, right? Of like the sure. tour, the tour. It, the devil's in the details and the tour has gotten details wrong for so long as far as you know they'll they'll add the jj hunt the uh, jj henry exemption in there or you know you got the career moneyless exemption you got the the uh you know the 300 cuts exemption all that bullshit and it's like cool like don't layer that stuff in here like don't water this down yeah 
make sure that this stays the principles and the philosophy behind this stay that like we're taking care of the best players but to be one of those best players you have to earn your keep every single year and i will say i'm impressed with what's in in monahan's memo did not leave wiggle room for any of that no. right there wasn't like a some subjective changes might be made in in this in terms of like it lays out exactly which criteria are going to be in this event plus the four sponsors exemptions right which i think Four seems like a proper amount of wiggle room to, again, to be able to, like, let's throw Ricky in the field. That's fine. Like, let's throw Tiger in the field if he's not qualified. That seems fine. I have no problem with that number. I don't think that's going to, uh, you know, like, I don't think like there's somebody that's getting really cheated on the outside of that. They should straight up, like, you don't have to mention Tiger by name, but they should do something to where, like, 75-plus tour wins. Uh, you know, like, like a certain criteria that sits above everybody else. Yeah, yeah. You know, that like nobody else is even coming close to touching except for Tiger. Uh, I do wonder if playoffs wise, like I, you were talking about it, Sally, of like, you know, top 70 to top 50. Like, all right, the guys that get into BMW next year, that's going to be a big deal, right? Or, or I guess the guys that get into BMW this year, that's going to be a big deal, yeah. right? But like, what's the difference between finishing 50th and 30th? other than being able to get into the the, the uh, tour championship. There doesn't seem to be much differentiation at all between like like the first playoff event seems to to matter a lot and then the third playoff event seems to matter a lot. And I know that they're they're putting another 50 million dollars it seems towards the FedEx Cup. I was going to uh, say purse. I, could, I could answer that one. Yeah. It making the tour championship money is like the 30th versus 31st tour championship money and FedEx Cup bonus money is that's enough there's some incentive there totally <laughs> there's a lot and there's major exemptions that come with qualifying for the tour championship as well which they've not told that story very well at all saw have had to come on to be like yeah i got a two-year exemption for making the tour championship last year which do and do we have confidence in and i guess cbs is doing it this year do we have confidence in the networks to tell the story of like you know that that 50 bubble being almost as important as who wins the tournament at at memphis this year right Weirdly, with CBS, I have more like coming in fresh and not having kind of the static, uh, you know, energy that they've had for, you know, that NBC's had in the playoffs for a long time. Yeah, I, I feel weirdly better that they would approach that. They seem to be open to ideas at the moment, which, which is a major change. Free content idea, like do a do a dedicated stream for that the the top fifty line that doesn't even look at who's leading the tournament. It's just hmm. dedicated to all right. Here's here's all the guys on or around this line. You know. Liv is going to take some credit for what happened here. Do they deserve any? That's a complicated question, Kevin. I'm going to say yes to this in a in a much more indirect way than they probably will take credit for it. Mm -hmm. uh, Max actually had some some great quotes on this. If you'll allow me, uh, a question that was asked. Lastly, is it fair to say we're not here today without Liv? Max said, yeah, possibly. I would have hoped that we would have got here. We would have got here at some point, so I can't make, I, I don't know about that. But yeah, it does seem like it. It does seem like the emergence of Liv forced us as players and executives of the PGA Tour to look at their product. I think that there are things that they have done. They they got to make something from scratch, which is a lot easier than us building something that has been around for so long. It's been on the shoulders of someone like Arnold Palmer, who has built a lot of what we have today. They don't have to deal with tradition, so they kind of just got to set out a piece of paper and say, what should we do? And I think one of the things that they have that's great that this will provide now is a guaranteed product. You know who is going to be at each event. I think that's important for fans, especially the ones who come to the events who are on site because, you know, hey, if I go to Mexico for Mayakoba, Dustin Johnson will be at that golf tournament. Dustin Johnson is my favorite golfer, and I want to see Dustin Johnson in person. 
Whereas some events, it's how, how we've done it in the past. It's tricky. I joked that my friend Steven is a humongous Roy McElroy fan, and I got tired of listening to his, is Rory going to play in the event questions? I was just thinking he should know that if he's going to be at an event, just like Rory said about Tom Brady, when he turns on a Bucks game, he knows he's going to watch Tom Brady play football. So I don't think we would have been here this soon without Liv, but I would hope at some point we would have looked at this and said, hey, there might be a better way to do it. That last line does a lot of work there. I think the tour would have taken forever and maybe never gotten here without this, without the top players, like finally sticking up and being like, dude, we're not doing this anymore. And again, it's long been my theory that the tour has been held hostage by to now give him credit, the Peter Malnati's of the world that have greatly outnumbered the top players, but have paled in comparison to the entertainment value they provide the sport. William McGirt, things of that nature. Uh, But you know, I think some of it comes down to like leadership too and like nobody at the tour was going to stick their neck out and propose moving things forward like this either and i think i mean shit like dj posted it earlier which it's it, it like it's a good exercise it'll be different because the fedex cup point distributions will be all you know all sorts of different stuff but like the 2021 22 fedex cup standings they weren't available on the tour website which is oh it's which is tour website's gotten worse fucking it's outrageous amazing. like it's you guys have keep going to live four or five years to figure this out and you like the app's gotten worse the website's gotten worse i thought we had a fucking data lake i guess we don't but you're running yeah. all sorts of simulations running the models <laughs> <laughs> but uh Tyrrell hatton was 49 adam hatton was 50 chez was 51 chris kirk 52 so it's like like no matter where you set the benchmarks it's going to be interesting to watch yeah. guys jockey to get into those those spots right but to that question to KVV's question TC do you think Liv deserves credit or I forget how you phrased it it was yeah. an interesting way of phrasing it I think they absolutely do I mean it's they're, they're you know take credit anyway do they yeah. deserve any other credit yeah no and I and, and and I think there's something to be said for like this could have been a much bigger victory lap for the tour today if like they didn't like if Eamon's not leaking it and the tour gets ahead of it, like as soon as this gets ratified last night, why aren't you sending out the fucking memo at sure. seven a.m. this morning and getting ahead of this and and not allowing everybody to nitpick it based on incomplete information, right? Like have it was Jay, a, have Jay sit down with the New York Times, like literally yeah, ten o'clock I mean, last it, night. PR one hundred and one, like they're not telling their own story. They're not, and it's it's this over and over and over and over again. Like it's, it's just, it, there's no communication whatsoever from the tour. There's no leadership. There's no, like they need to take control of their own story. I think some of that is like the fundamental fact that, you know, the players, like some of the top players are the ones like making so many of the decisions. So they don't, maybe Jay doesn't feel any agency to really take the lead and be like, all right, now you guys work this out. So now I'm going to go and be on, you know, CNN, or I'm going to do a Fox news hit, or I'm going to do this and that. And I'm going to talk about how we're changing things. Like, isn't I mean I joked about this I don't know if joked if the right word I think I actually just flat out said in my Riviera piece that Rory's kind of the shadow commissioner in a lot of ways like he's the one who is really the people that he's or he's being asked constantly to explain what's going on he's the one who is having to negotiate with various people about whether it's his own players or whether it's kind of talking with partners like Rory's doing a lot of that work and it's kind of it's just wild to me to think about like imagine if Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady were like we're going to remake the NFL, and then basically like it came out in a leak to Adam Schefter. Like it's different, golf is different than the NFL, but that's kind of what's happening in golf right now is that the Tiger and Rory and a couple, you know, some of the other top players are being like, all right, this has to be the way that forward. And then it's happening and the, and the tour's kind of like, okay, great. 
we'll, we'll sign off on that. Well, and the players are using the press, it seems like, to get the messaging out there to, uh, you know, kind of force action from the actual executive leadership of the tour. Like, that's how I interpret the situation. It's like they're not, it's, you know, it's, it does seem like, I think we've, going all the way back to when this started was like, man, did, did like Monaghan and his team make a ton of sense for this job back in 2017 when it was like, hey, can you get the FedEx Cup money up? Can you get our new TV deal done and keep all our sponsors on board and do all of the things that Fincham like laid out and like here's the plan for the PGA Tour and these guys are going to keep making money. We don't care about the actual product on TV at all. People still keep signing up for this shit and I don't know why, but just keep that gravy train going. That seemed to make a lot of sense. Then all of a sudden when it was time for like innovation, these were not the people that were the most prepared for handling all this. But despite all of that, like if live continues to trend the way that it is and the way that we're hearing that it's trending. And now that the tour, like it might, like might've been that you fail a uh, task failed successfully alert that, that pops up is like, it might be by accident, but they might end up with something way, way better than they could have imagined as of three totally. years ago. And I think Jay, I mean, Jay deserves credit for like sponsors keep signing up for these bigger you know or granted they're they're netting some of these up but i guess where the rubber meets the road next year like we'll see if sponsors are kicking in the extra money to be one of these elevated events um and he's in an unenviable position of having to go back constantly to these sponsors and and tell them hey you know things are changing like i'm not you know i i think he's doing the some of the work behind the scenes do i think he had any of the vision or any of the strategy or or you know any of these scenarios gamed out in his head? No. Do I still think that? No. But it, I, I, I think he's being a good soldier behind the scenes. But what the tour needs is like whether it's his idea or not his idea, they needs they need to take control of the message and the comms. And like if Jay's not the guy to do that, then get a then get an like a, a COO or an ops person in there that's like his deputy that is out front, you know, kind of talking about this stuff and and selling it and getting people on board because I think. Like, yeah, it's great that Rory's out there selling it, but like at the end of the day, like your job as the tour is to run the tour. That's not Rory's job. And I know it's the player's tour, but at the end of the Rory day, like, would love it if it wasn't his job anymore. Exactly. <laughs> you know? And so it's, yes, yes. The players need to take an interest in it and they need to, to, you know, be out there selling it and probably publicly countering all the private bullshit that Patrick Cantlay is spewing and, and, you know, being a massive roadblock in this, I'm totally with all that, but at some point, like the tour needs to like get their shit together and get out front with it, have press conferences, talk to the right stakeholders in the media, outside of the media, all of it, and just look like they know what the, what the hell they're doing. Yeah, next week's going to be interesting with the uh, Jays presser will be on, on Tuesday of next week. And uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to wait to record our preview pod, I think, until Tuesday evening just to kind of make sure we get that State of the Union um, in, in, into that and how it gets announced and rolled out and, and, and how he answers questions to the media is going to be um, – it's going to be interesting, to say the least, I think, because it's yeah. it's been a – God, has it been a, while, a weird ride. I mean, and Solly, like – Back to your point of like, if it's players leaking this stuff, like, cool, then like they have to anticipate that because these leaks have been happening for the last yeah, that's true. 18 months. Like this is the way it's playing out every single time and leaking it to the same person. So, you know, like props <laughs> to Amen, like he's doing a, he's doing his job and he's doing it well. But like, man, at some point, if you like, if the tour is not the one leaking this stuff, then like maybe adjust your playbook a little bit, right? It do. If you keep getting caught flat footed, like you got to understand that like whatever information you're sort of discussing is not going to stay private. And so 
tried better to get out ahead of it. I mean, maybe that's just sort of inside baseball stuff that only we really give a shit about as we follow this like day-to-day, minute-to-minute. And if you're the average fan, you're probably going to show up next year and be like, wait, things are different? I haven't heard anything about this. Like, what's going on? Okay, cool. So, But the uh, core matters, right? Like it's, you know, like like this festering out there for six to eight hours today without them, you know, having any of their information out there and just people running wild with rumors or speculation, that's not good for them, right? It's like play, you know, like take your own advice, play better, earn your keep. I think one of the things that uh, it's not going to ever work, like the but one of the things I want to get out in front of is, uh, are, how would you guys respond to this? Okay, let's start with you, Kevin. Yeah. The if somebody starts a, a Twitter reply with "sounds like live," what what is your what is your response to that? How would you respond to that? I would say first of all, this seems like an impossible conversation uh, for Twitter because you're not going to listen to the what I have to say <laughs> you're, anyway. You're not going to get it. So it's kind of a waste of my time, and I sort of like fired off something today like oh if you can't really tell the difference between like riding in an uber and cutting off people's hands like you there's there's no point in having this discussion with you anyway but i guess i would just say i mean your point to the pj tour is set up so that there's already a ton of different levels that are weeding out players like phil mickelson is never going to lose his job for playing poorly at live because he's part of a sort of larger messaging structure that is really the reason behind live which i think is to just sort of in- increase the opportunity for the Saudi Arabia to get Western investment. There's no actual point in a competitive golf tour. So the whole point to me, like, is, yeah, they're dramatically different just because one is set up to determine who's the best golfer in the regular season of day-to-day, week-to-week golf, and the other is set up to be a propaganda machine. And so if you think, like, they're the same, then I can't really, you know, break down the difference for you because it's pretty fucking obvious to me. I would first of all, Sally. I would I would announce my qualifications as a member of the uh, local rider local Dick Riders, uh, the uh, the uh, Dick Riders Brotherhood uh, local six thirteen. Uh, I would I would first of all get that out there, and then um, yeah, I would say similar to KVV, like there's an entire ecosystem and structure, like of hey man, if like if you get a bunch of the top players in the world that are you know beyond the top fifty in the world, like the 50 through 350, you get a bunch of those guys playing the MENA tour and the Asian tour. And, and then you're constantly relegating guys in and out from live and you're playing better venues with live and you're setting it up accordingly. And there's all sorts of competitive elements to it. Yeah. Then let's talk, but we're not there. It's like, it's fucking apples and oranges, right? Like, like, like why is, why is James Pyatt playing live? James Pyatt can't even get a fucking corn fairy tour card. Right. Like that, that's that totally defeats the entire argument. Right. But there's people out there that will tell you that uh, that, yeah, you have to you have to finish top 24 this year to keep your status for next year. It's like, okay, if Phil doesn't finish top 24 this year, does he lose his live spot? Are we seriously going to pretend like this thing is any different than what we know it exactly is? It's it's uh, yeah, I'm just I'm amazed, I guess. I know I keep saying this, but of how how fast and how like the vitriol of the reply to this of just like just totally dismissing this, like, I think interesting competitive golf structure, more interesting than PGA Tour golf that we watched over the years that we have had raised many, 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 many issues with over the years. I'm not a D-writer by saying, hey, this intrigues me a little bit more than, you know, watching these 156-man fields where we don't know if we're going to get, you know, Rom versus Max battling down the stretch. I've said hundreds of times that, like, there's too many tour cards. There's too many guys in these tournaments. There's too many, like... 
you know, is this moving too far in the opposite direction? Time will tell, right? But I think maybe, but it, but it's, it's at least moving in the right direction. You know, it may be too far in the right direction, but. And I think that's what, like, we have to give a little leeway and credit to, like, I, I don't know how you crunch the numbers to end up at this, right? Like, I, I think we can agree on the overall big picture of, like, here's the way golf needs to trend. And it seems like a shitload of work went into figuring out, like, I'm impressed by that churn number. If we're saying, like, maybe, like, 40% of this, of the top 50 will churn year to year, like, that's that's a lot. Like, that seems like a lot. And that seems, you know, if the original structure was going to say 80%, that seems like a problem, whereas 60% seems like a way better number of making sure it's not a closed-off system. Like, it has the, – the, like, a, the guiding light in all of this has to be that this structure has to remain extremely competitive, extremely competitive. That's what Live does not have. It does not have an underlying structure of people that are, you know, vying to compete on that tour and, you know, or spots that are readily available through – because we don't know how people end up on that tour – Whereas the the underlying part of Corn Ferry into the lower level PGA Tour and the middle of PGA Tour up to the upper is so freaking vast that it's hard to even take seriously anyone that wants to compare the two. The only thing that's funny too is like if you could say, let's say you're live and you're like, you stole our ideas, or whatever. Okay, you got me. Like, what now? Like, you stole, you stole your it whole from the fucking PGL. thing through the PGL. <laughs> so, like, what did you copyright these ideas? Did you, you know, is there sort of an intellectual property issue here? I don't think so. You didn't invent shotgun starts. You didn't invent, you know sort of you didn't uh, even event no videos. cut yeah <laughs> so i don't really i mean at this point like i i would just say to live people like good luck with your league like you know it, it, i don't really think it's a threat anymore to be honest and maybe that will make me look like an idiot a year from now go ahead and clip this social feed if you want somebody who's a live boy and say you know oh look how stupid kevin looks you'd be my guest i don't know that i'll believe i'll be seeing you around in a year or two uh, unless you know you're just going to stubbornly dump money into a, a dumpster fire uh, because there's a lot of indications that it's not going great. Yeah, that's it. Things aren't, <laughs> things aren't going great guys. Uh, yeah. I've, I've, that's, got, I've been letting the replies go because I'm just like, dude, I want more like, yeah. keep going. Cause this is going to be really funny to look back on here in a few months. Like maybe just maybe guys, maybe we know slightly more than we're letting on or can say at this point. And Oh my God, is it maybe going to get very interesting here in the coming weeks, months? I don't know when, but it's going to get a lot more interesting. I'm concerned it might not last long enough. I'm getting a lot of entertainment out of it. One thing I think is important on these elevated events, especially if they're not going to move them around, is making sure that there's like requisite variety in the venues to make like to where when you do set up, you know, like that's another way to make sure that it's not a closed system, right? Is, is, if you've got a bunch of bomber friendly golf courses or a bunch of, you know, like picking truly great venues that, that require a bunch of different skills and a wide variety of skills that don't, you know, I think having Harbor town in there or Riviera, like, you know, places that, that you can't just, that, you know, aren't going to basically eliminate the guy that hits it 290 instead of 310. Right. I think there's, there's a very intrinsic value in that. So that'll, that'll be one of the big details to come too. I think. One of the big bummers in all this, honestly, is seeing like Lee Westwood on Twitter just like denigrate people's work and like the people that are bringing up very fair questions about all, all this stuff and how he it uh, just it's like just like harassing journalists online. He's been doing it for for months now. It's just like that's a bummer. Like that's a really big bummer for a guy that I feel like a lot of people rooted for over the course of his career. But I feel uh, like Lee needs to get his own house in order. What's going on over at the Majestics? You know, you got three three captains. You guys are playing like well, shit. 
totally different question here. What I, I what is up with the strategic alliance? How does the DP World Tour fit into anything that happened today? Because that is a seems to be a darn big question right now. Sally, that's another thing that like you know. First of all, I think you guys owe an apology to the viewers. We do. I don't think Marcel Seam even got a shout yeah. out. Forgot to get a mention Sunday of pod, uh, which is yeah. just disgusting. I want to apologize to everyone. I will make sure that this doesn't I, happen. I tried to go down the leaderboard again. for you, man. I, I tried. Um, but I, I do think that, that that's a massive question and a massive failure by the tour of like, they, they like the, the European tour, DP world tour was on the doorstep with the Saudis. The tour does the strategic alliance like puts up all this window dressing, all talk, nothing's come out of it. I know it's complicated. I know it's two different membership structures, but like that's kind of a black eye. It makes it makes everything that was said during those initial press conferences look like total bullshit, right? Can I just just throw a question out there? Could it be like there's no mention of it anywhere in anything, right? Could it be waiting for the lawsuit settlement? Like, is that so? There's not a way for live players to gerrymander their way into these events, like because as of now, live players can play DP World Tour events, and they're figuring that out as sometime soon. Maybe I, I don't know the answer to that, but I, I'd be I'm guessing they're not trying to open their doors up too much to get uh, to get kind of attacked from the from the flanks there. But also, it feels like there's. You know, it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't thing to to like to kind of play the devil's advocate here of like, all right, if you're taking the top five guys or top ten guys from the previous, you know, four DP World Tour events, putting them into the PGA Tour event, all you're doing is further weakening the DP World Tour as well, which I think is what they're doing with some of the eligibility stuff. And hey, we're gonna pull the top five over to the PGA Tour, give them full cards and everything. But I don't know, all this would ring a lot better to me if some of at least one or two of these designated events were played worldwide or played globally I could, moved listen, around. I could go and ask Jay a question of that in his press conference. I honestly think it would be better if one of the European journalists put it to him and be like, how does the, this partnership benefit the DP world tour right now? Because they would have just a much better grasp of like, you know, the, the financials of the DP world tour, like the, the way that guys, you know, coming in and out. I mean, I, Look, if no one asks it, I would be worth asking, I think, to Jay. But I think I would love to hear someone who just has a really good grasp of what the future or, or the current status of the DP World Tour is to put it to Jay and say, how is this benefiting them? Or how is it a partnership? Like, how, right. what, how, what how would you classify this as a partnership versus yeah. just a, a hostile takeover? Sally, you said it earlier, the PGA Tour, you know, being nimble, being agile, we'll see. They They are certainly hostile, though. <laughs> they got they basically like grabbed the dp world tour and then said stand in front of us and take the gunfire from live okay. like, <laughs> you, you can take the brunt of the lawsuits and the sort of you know the, the players sort of forcing their way or complaining all the time about you know I, it's it's a bummer to me because yeah i mean like we all grew up like in the little in some ways like seeing the dp world or the european tour it was like this cool mysterious place that we didn't see on tv much but we knew like sevi was awesome and we knew that they had all these great players who'd kick ass in the Ryder cup come from. And now I just, I, I'm worried that it's going to wither up and go away. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, that's a, a question to be answered here. And uh, it, it did not slip by me that there was nothing in there. Um, nothing in the qualification criteria for DP world tour players for these elevated events. So, like, so. There's something interesting, like going back to something we've said a lot of like, there's the Sanderson or the Barracuda or any number of these kind of less, you know, lower tier PJ tour events. 
like Puerto Rico Open, which, you know, who knows if that even, that even needs to exist anymore, right? Of like, you know, they're, they're filling that field out with Frank Licklider and Glenn Day this week, right? Well, so Billy like, Horsham going to have to play in it, Sean. <laughs> but like, we were saying there's, there's more similarities between the top tier Corn Ferry Tour events, like the, you know, the BMW Charity Pro-Am or the nationwide event up in Columbus or, um, you know, the Portland event when they, when it existed or Omaha, those events, then there are between the Barracuda or the Sanderson or the Puerto Rico open and the Arnold Palmer or Riviera or something. And now it's like, I feel like we have such a stronger, like those, those events actually do mean something now versus, you know, like they are differentiated more from, the, from an upper tier corn ferry event. Well, and it's, man, I hadn't really even thought of it until Peter was kind of talking about it in terms of some of these regular standard events, I believe is what they're officially called now, are absolutely going to have better fields than they normally have, yeah. like without a doubt, right? And I, get, I think it, in my head, it was going to be like, yeah, they were going to get, the fields were going to get worse, but they were already bad, who cares? But it's like, no, actually, like you're going to get better players at these events and more stars are going to get sprinkled in if they're not overrun with too many designated events so dude, um, some of those fields have been so shitty like there's no way for them to get worse right? like yeah, there's, no, exactly. there's nowhere to go like the, the system was broken like that's the whole fucking point like we're not going back to the 1995 pga tour and everybody's showing up at the chrysler greater greensboro classic like that that ship has sailed guys i think what played out at the honda is like a great example of like how great it could be in the future. Like if you have like a journeyman who's has a chance to sort of, you know, cash his ticket and a guy who once was a really good player and sort of had a lot to overcome, like those stories are going to play out each week. It might be like, you know, some of the aging vets are trying to hang on or whatever, but that's just another element of it. I don't know that I buy the idea that like the neatness of the Monday qualifier story is no longer uh, sort of, you know, special because it's going to be, there's more opportunities for it to be special now. I think what's what's confusing, I guess, to me is there's a, a lot of people have, have dedicated a lot of energy into ragging on the tour and its structure. And then when they change it, they also rag on the changes involved with it. Whereas like we have ragged on the tour and its structure for a long time to the point where like change is almost only going to be good. Right. And a shitload of thought of like the most integral players in the game and stakeholders in the game has gone into this. Like if they can see this being, uh, you know, if, if they're excited about it. The entertainment product is likely to be better. They're more likely to steer into entertainment aspect of golf. I think, uh, you know, that's been a, again, we've said this a million times, like it's been a sticking point coming out of the meeting is like, hey, we all need to buy in a little bit more and and do our part in the entertainment aspect, the walk and talks and whatever's asked of us to kind of create some buzz around our product. And that has me at least curious and hopeful that this, you know, will get past a four out of 10 on the entertainment level, which is pretty much what I've considered PGA Tour Golf to this point, despite uh, being a certified card member of the of the B-Rider Commission. Uh, local 613. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, Kevin, I think your your local chapter is, is uh, local 542. Um, check with the stevedores and see what... Uh... Somebody was mentioning on Twitter earlier that, uh, like, have those last place guys, or, you know, the guys in that last group, like, all right, you're in last place on Saturday, you're last place on Sunday cool you guys are mic'd up all day we're throwing you on yes <laughs> yes why not 100 yeah. you got to serve a don't like or, it cool like, play better like you, know? you got to go play with the ceo like you if you oh yeah play better you got to go play with uh -oh, the sponsor Justin thomas is gonna have to make this putt to avoid the mic tomorrow i know he doesn't want that 
<laughs> yeah. And like, and Sally, that could play into your, your idea of, of, you know, having like a random three handicap out there, just showing like yeah. how freaking hard it is and how good that's, these guys get are. weird out here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, like, J- I've got, I've got to play with JT and he's got to read putts for me all over again. <laughs> Damn it, Sally. I mean, fine. All right. <laughs> so. Any uh, anything else before we wrap this? It was a long emergency pod, but I think if we had waited till Sunday, it would have been kind of too late to address a lot of this stuff. I my, my primary thought is like I'm excited for the majors to get here because I'm sort of exhausted about talking about the changing structure of the part of golf that we're kind of like reluctantly accept as part of our lives. Uh, whereas like the majors is what get us excited. So one month in, we've exhausted KVV. That's a that's an accomplishment. <laughs> God, KBB, I feel like you're like the new guy who I'm like, I'm like, I've been doing this for for no. eight years now. Buckle up, big boy. All right. I, I'm going to have to reset my uh, expectations. I got to earn my way back into the designated pod events. Yeah. Well, it, it's just so, so funny, though. Like, like, there's so much other shit. There's so many layers to this where it's like, all right, let's talk. Like, they're, they're throwing another $25 million, let's say, at the Comcast Business Tour Top 10. Does that mean that, like, you know, they're essentially juicing that to where if that's close to being a, you know, close race going into the last two weeks, are more guys going to tee it up? Like, is that going to make it worth it Mm. for guys? uh, You've got, again, again, the alternative is like no one showing up for Wyndham, despite like literally the top 10 don't show up to even try to bump up a little bit for that. And I think, again, we're under underrating another part of this of like, we haven't even mentioned that this is January through August. Again, like this is the schedule is not the wraparound schedule anymore. Like we haven't even gotten to that part of it. That's going to be extremely different about this. So, well, and then, and then not only that, like also they were, they were talking about those, those big money, no cut events for the fall that like international series that they were going to do. We've got all the, the indoor golf thing called tgl tgl we got all that shit going on like there's like it's a lot five other things happening too uh shout out again to peter monati for joining that was really really helpful and thank you everyone for for tuning into the emergency pod uh we'll be back live on sunday night to recap the arnold palmer invitational at bay hill presented by mastercard and the the d rider commission so thank you everyone and uh thanks for the questions thanks for all of the uh all of the listens and we'll see you back here next week cheers Cheers. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything.